Welcome back to FinTalk brought to you by Vermont. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for our global Rostock clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Jared Akta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermic. I'm Jared Akta, your host. Uh, to today, I welcome back Nav Ranya from Tata as a partner. Nav, welcome back. One more of these and you'll, and you'll get one of these hoodies from us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. What have you been up to recently? So I think last time we spoke, which was about six months back, we spoke about the evolution of ESG and how it's manifesting itself into especially reporting as well. I think rewind back over six months, where was the industry at? I think the industry was still grappling with regulation. And unfortunately, the industry is still grappling with uh, <laughs> regulation. Now, as a sustainability partner at TCS, which forms part of the Tata Group, which is a salt to software conglomerate, uh, pretty much we are invested in multi-sector industries such as steel, power, we own Jaguar, Land Rover. Uh, we have Tetley T, British Salt as well in our portfolio. Going back to where we sit in the organization, sustainability is a huge theme for us and for our clients who we who we look after. Now, I talked about regulation. Now, regulation is coming out sector by sector. We have been seeing regulation in the energy side. We have been seeing regulation being influenced by geopolitics as well, especially in terms of the energy crisis and looking at the, we don't know where Russia and Ukraine, uh, the awful war that is happening and uh, Putin's illegal invasion. We also need to understand what does it mean sector by sector for regulations in terms of supply chain as well. We have other issues such as high rates, Mm. high inflation in the UK. We also have a cost of living crisis going on. These are all regulations that are running in parallel and challenges that are running in parallel to what? ESG, climate change and climate risks, sustainable financing, carbon markets, and last but not least, that path to net zero. Now, bringing in all of these new regulations, which I will brief upon very shortly, put that together with all of those challenges that are going on. Now, where do we see the economy going? Uh, For the economy to basically grow, we need a balance between those regulations. And that's where the C-suite and corporates and financials are grappling with. How much reporting should I be doing for ESG? Whether I'm a corporate or whether I'm a financial, how much analysis should I be doing from a climate risk perspective as well. Now, some of the updates that we've basically been seeing is, let's start with frameworks. Now, look at ESG as a whole. Where were we six months ago? We had the SASB, we had integrated reporting, we had the GRI as well out there. We also had other frameworks like the WEF and also the TCFT and the TNFD. 
everyone was calling this an alphabet soup, and unfortunately it is still an alphabet soup. But what has happened over the past six months in the world of ESG? Well, it's quite interesting to see the establishment of the ISSB, so our International Sustainability Board, which has basically been set up under the auspices of the IFRS Foundation. Now, why do I say IFRS very explicitly? What does IFRS do? It's financial reporting at the end of the day. Now, what is basically going to happen is the International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB, is eventually going to link to IFRS. And there has been huge work being done over the six months. So they have signed a memorandum of understanding with GRI to measure sustainability-related metrics, such as looking at uh, things like or climate disclosures, such as general sustainability disclosures from GRI as well. They have also looked at uh, how do we integrate reporting as well together. So integrated reporting is now forms part of the IFRS, ISSB standard as well. On top of that, we also have the amalgamation of the TCFD. Now, many of our our companies that we work with, they will be they will have been doing reporting on TCFD, so Task Force for Climate Risk Financial Disclosures. Now, the TCFD is going to be, as I said, going to be part of the ISSB. That is a fundamental change. That is a f- huge, huge change, because we were looking at climate risk in isolation, reporting climate risk in isolation. We also weren't looking at the explicit link of climate risk on, say, IFRS reporting. So when we think about IFRS 9, expected credit loss, uh, so IFRS 17, etc., etc. So the biggest update really is, you know, the, the ISSB coming in and bringing in all those different concepts. And as of June, uh, end of June, to be precise, they have released two disclosures, one called the IFRS S1 and the IFRS S2. So the IFRS 1 is basically your general sustainability disclosures for the area that you work in, uh, the sector that you work in to be specific. And then secondly, you've got IFRS S2, which are your climate-related disclosures as well, which is essentially the takeover of the the TCFD. So you don't have to do TCFD and IFRS S2 anymore as well. Now, for the very importantly for the UK, what's really important? The PRA, FCA, and Bank of England have put out their support for the ISSB, and they see the ISSB as the number one sustainability reporting disclosure regime as well. So that's. Um I want to stop you there because we've managed to capture a lot. And I know yes, last time we spoke, of and um, we spoke primarily around the the S and G. Yes, obviously, six months ago, that's massively changed, and the landscape's yep. completely changed mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. And you're right, and all those factors, cost of living crisis, inflation now, yes, to where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, all these are part of ESG. Um, you did mention the. I want to bring it back to the PRA um, and what the UK, uh, FCA, and what the UK are doing as well. Showing support is a big step for those 
disclosures. Where do we go now? Where do, where do firms go now? Because I know the EBA, it's uh, it's quite clear. It's there, you know, the templates are there. Yes. UK has not been quite quite there yet. Is it? it's still, <laughs> we're still, there's still ambiguity around what they should do or how they should do it. Is this providing more clarity now? So I think we're in a two-step process. Uh, the UK has its challenges, uh, as we know. Europe has its challenges as well. When we look at the gold standard of, say, analytics and reporting for ESG and linking that into, say, climate risk, climate change, sustainable finance, carbon markets, and net zero, that is the EU. Mm. That is the EU as the golden standard under the e- guidance from the EBA and the ECB, as well as additional global guidance from Basel Committee as well, which is, as you know, based on based Europe, primarily Europe-based as well. So when we look at what is basically going on in the UK, the UK is watching Europe. And it's very interesting to also see that there is already sustainability regulation that came from Europe that's already baked into UK sovereign law. And that's called the NFRD, Non-Financial Reporting Directive. So this is your, basically, any data that, such as climate, such as Mm. uh, the S and the G, as we basically mentioned. That's actually baked into law under the NFRD in UK sovereign law. But Brexit happened. So after Brexit happened, the EU kept moving forward with their gold standard, as I call it, in terms of sustainability reporting, which is now the CSDR, basically. Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Sorry, and I'm trying to explain all the, the alphabets. <laughs> all the acronyms the acro- there, we're going and for the acronyms, yeah. <laughs> and for anyone who does miss any acronym I don't explain, yeah, <laughs> please Google it, yeah. <laughs> so the CSRD is basically out there now. So now we have Europe moving forward in terms of uh, that regulation, and that is being mandated by FRAG and the ESRS, so... FRAG is basically uh, your standard setting committee, basically looking at all the different metrics that are required for the ES and G as well. But where we are with the UK, you can see who's playing that role. It, it's really, it's like the ISSB who are covering especially the environmental side and your general sustainability disclosures and S1 and S2, as I mentioned. But the the S and the G is going to come and that's going to come via the ISSB. Yes, the the ECB have basically mandated banks to basically say, okay, we want you to show us your ESG risk factors. So we want to see your universe of ESG risk factors defined as S and G. Yeah, so that I mean, the PRA have always stepped back. The UK has always naturally stepped back, watch what's happening. They're doing that with, with the Basel stuff as well. You know, Europe's kind of running away with it and the UK have been watching it and now starting mm-hmm. to implement their way of doing it. Um, so what does it mean for, you know, I mean, we'll go back to the banking sector um, for us. What does it mean for for those guys? Do they Are they suddenly going to need to start reporting uh, those two new templates? So the templates that you refer to are basically looking at two ratios. So one is the, the GAR, the green asset mm-hmm. ratio, and the other one is the BTAR, the banking taxonomy alignment ratio as well. Now, it's very, very detailed, Jawad, in mm. terms of like getting the inf- that information. It means understanding climate mitigation and climate adaption. Now that is being defined by what, and that goes back to the EU gold standard, as I always call it, for sustainability. 
that is the taxonomy, the EU taxonomy. So the EU taxonomy now basically specifies the principles for each sector that you're invested in. And in each sector, it tells you what are the principles of climate risks and how do we look at climate mitigation and climate adaption for those sectors, again, set by the standard setting body called EFRAG. That is a game changer as well, because it tells you for where can I invest and how do I look at my ratio, my green asset ratio. So we need to work back from the reporting. So yeah, great. We can have like, I've got 10% green assets out of my whole banking book or my trading book. Great. But what does it mean? What do you do with the information? And the point is that if if you're going to be pe- uh, having folks working very, very hard, you know, hopefully not too late into the night, looking at the uh, green asset ratio and also the banking taxonomy alignment ratio, which is your alignment to your sectors, the EU taxonomy, essentially, you need to know why are they doing that? Because we just don't produce reports to satisfy the regulator. We produce reports because we want to go to a post-pandemic, sustainable, ethical, green uh, economy. Now, that is why this certain so much data is being demanded. And I think it's very important for the audience to realize, what are you going to do with the data and how do you work backwards? And to address your last point about the, the PRA, so the PRA, FCA and Bank of England are working very closely with the Green Finance Institute as well, the GFI, to define the TPT. So this will be the UK's taxonomy, green taxonomy, and that is basically being done, as I mentioned, by the TPT, the Transition Planning Task Force. Sorry, just another acronym for yourself. We should. I'm sure we should have played um, the bingo, right? We should play bingo from... Um, oh, yes, ESG, ESG bingo. ESG bingo, right? I'm uh, waiting for someone to shout out bingo in a minute. <laughs> you haven't quite heard We've got a few more to aim for. So in terms of what they have to do, I mean... That's a lot of data, right? Some of the data is, his, some of the historical data mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. need is just vast. So it's not just the the bank's disclosing it. Uh, yep. It's it's getting that information from different sectors. Mm-hmm. Some of these sectors are not used to that level of regulation, the change or the information gathering. So that's a whole different ball game and gearing up. So it's not, I say banking slightly matured in terms of gathering information and data and that. I think the other sectors are shocked to them. Some are probably more advanced than others. There's a lot of information out there. So, but it, you're right. You know, how do you then reverse engineer? What does the gar mean? Yes, I can give it to you. What does it actually really mean for of, me? And, of course, and everyone else. And I think this is where it comes into you know Javad thinking about how are we looking at good data. Hmm. Now, if we rewind back in time, go back to 2008, financial crisis was driven by subprime uh, loans, and we thought they were prime loans. Now, why was that? That was because of the data and the quality of the data from that was being used in, in terms of underlying collateral. Now, do we really want to go back to those days where we didn't understand what the data was and was the data plausible as well? Did green Does green really mean green? Mm. You know, or is it shades of green that we should be doing? And one of the debates that we're having, you know, globally is, is a sector such as gas, is it a shade of green or shade of brown? Is nuclear a shade of green or a shade of brown? 
Now, this is the point. The whole point is that banks lend to the real economy. Banks provide credit, right? Mm. If we get the fundamental issue of data wrong and classification of data wrong, you know, that means, you know, you mag- multiply that globally. You know, we're stifling lending to the real economy. And this is very, very important that we understand unstructured data. We understand time series of data as well. And thirdly, we're able to map that non-financial data to financial data as well. And a good example is if a bank is going to report on the carbon emissions per loan in the oil and gas sector, well, you know, the risk manager's job is going to change now. It's going to be, they're going to be looking at what's the time series of the scope three carbon emissions for a large oil and gas company, not just for the past three years, but the past 10 years. And how is, how is it going to look in the next 10 years as well? Because don't forget that sustainability-related data is going to map, especially with the announcement of the ISSB, is going to impact your IFRS reporting as well, eventually, eventually. You know, we are looking at credit risk losses and in IFRS 9, but uh, we're still very, very far off. Yeah, and that's, um, you're right, it will impact financial reporting, it has to at some point. So what, what, do, what do people do now? I mean, I'm just, I know you're working with a lot of firms and, and you're, you're really busy, <laughs> hard to get hold of, but um, what's, you know, what, what should firms do? What are they doing? I know people are kind of you know, starting that ball rolling uh, mm-hmm. on that or starting those, looking to those data items as well. But in terms of practicality, next steps for firms, what would you expect them to do? Of course. So number one, data, data, data. <laughs> you, you must get on top of your data. You must understand the jurisdiction of the data, the sector analysis for the data, and take one example, carbon emissions. There are a hundred different ways of calculating uh, carbon emissions. But what's the sector-defined approach? Is it approved by the government? Is your regulator happy with the way you've calculated the carbon emission data? Number two, how do you go and analyze that data? Because what you need to be doing is obviously building a time series. You also need to be understanding how do you aggregate all of that data across different different counterparties that are booked to the say the trading book or the banking book for example let's go back to the example of carbon emissions right there are methodologies such as and I won't go into them but uh, whoever's listening can go and google them such as financed emissions called uh, known as PCAF partnership for carbon accounting framework we have another methodology called Poseidon to measure carbon analytics and carbon methodologies also equator principles and PACTA as well, which is a Paris Agreement uh, transition framework as well. That's analytics, by the way. So firms need to be looking at and understanding the analytics. Is the analytics that I'm doing, does that make sense when I'm calculating carbon intensity? And the last part is the reporting. So how, how are you going to report with this ever-evolving alphabet soup? Which standard are you going to basically use? Which mm. framework are you going to yeah. refer to? And last but not least, how are you going to disclose? Now, you can disclose via, you know, you'll have a EBA template such as the, the GAR and the, the Green Asset Ratio and the VTAR, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. If, if you're a global financial institution, 
what do you need to be thinking about? Well, we have the upcoming SEC disclosure on climate, for example, climate-related risks. We have CVAR, which is a climate VAR from the Federal Reserve as well. We also have the Bank of England proposing methodologies to calculate standalone climate VAR and aggregated value at risk from a climate standpoint as well, and so on and so on and so on. But we have to be very clear that if we take data and we take analytics and it ends up in a report such as value at risk, well, value at risk basically goes into a capital calculation. But what is the main touch point and what do we now need to get on top of thinking about data analytics and reporting is what is that data, my counterparty, the corporates, the corporates are giving? Does that corporate, that disclosure, and guess what, I'm going to drop another acronym, does it come from the climate transition plans under the CSDDD, again, another EU gold standard? And how do I take that, that data? Does it make sense? Is it plausible? Is it fungible? And as a financial, can I go and consume the data? So what you effectively have is, in summary, for data analytics reporting on both sides of the equation is corporate data going up, financial data being consumed. And that is the next steps for firms to bring that all together. It's a lot to do. That's a lot. <laughs> a hell of a lot of work to do. Yeah, it changes the whole, like you said, it does change the whole risk persona and the whole risk role changes mm-hmm, as well, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's um, gone other days with VAR and, and, yes, yes. and uh, LGDs and PDs. and Of course, and we're looking at development of climate-implied PDs, climate-implied LGDs mm. as well, so we can work out what our credit risk losses are, especially in, and again, I'm going to refer to IFRS, IFRS 9 and ECL, for example, expected credit loss as well. But if the data you're getting from the corporate does not make sense or was misinterpreted, what is going to be the impact to capital on the balance sheet? That's why I said to you, Javad, it's not just about that green asset ratio or the VTAR ratio. What about your standardized reporting that we do on pillar one, pillar two, pillar three? Mm. What about our standardized reporting for our stress testing that we do uh, as well? You mentioned pillar three there. Where, where, what do banks do for pillar three now for this year? Yes. So, very good question. So, EBA, ECB, what are they asking for now? Is that they want your risks to be disclosed, Mm. your ESG risk factors to be disclosed in Pillar 3, including your climate risk numbers as well. Now, that is tricky because banks are struggling to get that data as well. And they are obviously trying to talk to the corporates. So, ask the corporates, we need your carbon emission data or climate risk data they need to basically subject that to a number in terms of understanding what is going to be the impact to my overall book from these, especially the environmental risk factors. Don't forget, I mean, I've been talking about, I mean, we have been talking about carbon emissions the past, what, 20 minutes? Mm. But it's more than that. It's pollution, it's waste, it's plastic, it's chemicals. You know, if you look at the gold standard of the EU, they're also asking for other risk factors such as what is the impact uh, to social and governance risk factors, such as things like human rights as well? We're a bit far away from that, to put that into to Pillar 3, but the EBA, ECB uh, are taking a close watch on that at the moment. But what do we need to be doing for next steps for firms is 
let's get one area right, let's get environmental right, yeah, you know, before, let's get yeah. E and everything under E, uh, and then let's think about S, uh, S and G as well, because we can see that there are many challenges at the moment, in especially in the Pillar 3 uh, reporting. Yeah, I mean, the S and G, yeah, that's, that's a whole different, that's another episode. <laughs> that is a completely different episode, but yeah, there's a lot. A lot to cover there. Lastly, I know we spoke six months ago. Is there anything that people should be looking out for in terms of regulation or things that are on the horizon? So, as I said, I think data drives everything else, climate risk, sustainable financing, carbon markets, net zero. But there are parallel regulations in different sectors, as I said, when we opened this podcast, right? And those parallel regulations are coming from different different sectors, including having sensitivity and consideration to high rates, high inflation, and cost of living. That's on the number one issue for the board to any board of any corporate, any C-suite of any bank to contest with. But what's upcoming? Well, when we're trying to calculate climate risks and report those climate risks as well, extremely subjective at the moment, huge debate going on with the quants. Mm. So the NGFS, sorry, another acronym, (laughs) Network for Greening the Financial System, chaired under the FSB or G20 central banks, they have basically asked for a more thorough assessment of how do we stress test for climate change and and, the, and its impact on the balance sheet. Not just long term, but corporates and banks are asking for, look at this from short term scenario, because my scenarios are far too subjective and far too conservative as well especially when we look at the timeline, because climate change is not a 10-year horizon, it's Mm. a 50-year horizon, even a 100-year horizon as well. We need to bring that back to what does climate stress testing mean for the next five years? That's that's going to be very, very important to watch out for over the next couple of months. Also, ESG rating calculations as well, which affect, again, in turn, how you price credit. Well, there is a paper out from the PRA and FCA as well. And there's also a paper out from the ECB and EBA as well. And they've both been working together and both parties are talking. So both jurisdictions are talking to each other at the, at, at the top level. We just don't see it. But they are basically saying that we need to get get on top of ESG ratings. And there's a consultation out at the moment on how, again, it goes back to data and how that data is yeah. being used and how do we amalgamate to create an ESG data score as well. And a couple of other things that are coming out on sustainable financing as well. So how do you basically look at the definition of a green bond, a green loan, strengthening those principles from the industry associations such as ISDA, for example, uh, the LMA and the LSTA as well. Again, all of that, you need to report that data out. You need to report those principles from front office all the way up to enterprise risk and enterprise finance as well. I could go on for another hour if you wanted me to. But... <laughs> no, that's fine. As always, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to doing the next podcast as well. Hopefully lots of updates again. Indeed. Thanks so much. Thank you so much.